Well, Shane is one of our guests this morning. He is the Director for Agribusiness and Food Innovation here at Minnesota State University. And he is with a guest who we're going to chat with in just a moment because she is the keynote speaker for the Richard and Mary Schmitz Lectureship, which is coming up this afternoon, this afternoon at, at 3.30. MSU. So first I wanted to talk about with Shane, Shane Boyer, who is the director and arranges a lot of these things. What is the Richard and Mary Schmitz Lectureship? What is this all about? So uh, Richard Schmitz, he goes by Dick, uh, that he was a food entrepreneur and he did an endowment to have this lecture. And so every year we have this and we've brought in uh, numerous guests every, you know, each year for this uh, signature event for the College of Business. And so it's really around food and around entrepreneurship. And it's always a great event for uh, for the university. Now, is it always someone who's been an alum of the school that usually speaks? Because I know, I'll, in fact, I'm going to let you introduce our, our guest today because I know she's an alum in the College of Business here. So go ahead and introduce our guest, Yes, Shane. yeah. So real quick, it, not always alums. We've okay. had like... Dan and Angie Bastion from Boom Chicka Pop. Sure. We try to mostly get the alums. Right, because they're and, great entrepreneurs. Yep, yep. So, but uh, Julie Curtis is with us uh, all day today, and it's going to be a great day. Julie, as she said, is a, a 96 grad and has started about 10 years later, started an executive recruiting firm in the food and beverage industry. And she's uh, been noted in Forbes magazine as a top uh, food executive and also the Minnesota Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal as a top executive uh, recruiting firm. And so comes highly regarded uh, in that realm. And so we're so excited to have Julie with us today. And so welcome, Julie. Yeah, welcome, Julie, to the show. Glad to have you on. And I understand you are, you've got some Minnesota roots. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's such a honor to be here today. And I grew up and lived part of my life in Owatonna and then came here to, um, at the time, Mankato State, now Minnesota State University, and uh, live in the Twin Cities, started my career in the Twin Cities and have stayed living there. What was your background when you were in Owatonna? Were you a farm girl or anything? Because I, I wasn't. My dad always wanted to be, and he was in the food industry, and that really kind of drove my love for it. He had been in both research and development and sales and marketing roles for large companies like Pillsbury and um, Novartis, which is Gerber now, and a number of other organizations. And I just, I listened a lot. Okay. Uh, I was the youngest of three and um, they talked and I listened and being in the food industry was always something that I wanted to do. So you got your degree here at Minnesota State in business administration and completed your professional degree in human resources certification. So did you go with the mindset that you, it was going to be something in food or were you kind of open at that time? No, I really did think it was going to be something in the food industry. I remember going to some of the job fairs that they had during our senior year and thinking that, you know, some of the large food companies were kind of on my radar, the crafts of the world, the Cargills, the ADMs. That was really something that I was excited about. When you graduated, what did you do when you first got out? Yeah, was so, it something to do with food? Because a lot of people end up starting something completely different. Yeah. So no, I actually on the day that we had the graduation ceremony, I had my interview with uh, the food service division of Kraft. Oh. And they made me an offer that Monday. <laughs> I was thrilled. I think at that time you were just happy to have a job. The right. labor market was very different than it is today. Sure. And so I started as a buyer for them. And I worked for them for a number of years, and it was such a great experience, such a great training program. I had a great female mentor um, that was my boss, and it, it really, I could not have planned it better. Excuse my naivety, but what does a buyer do in a food company? Yeah, so for this particular company, we were 
buying all the finished goods products, the commodities, the eggs, the oils, the um, cheese, anything that went into um, an actual food service, restaurant, hospitality kind of environment, schools, hospitals, things like that. Okay, so literally buying food. Food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was. I was trying to picture what exactly that meant, and then you had some entrepreneurial bug in you somewhere. <laughs> and so then you formed your own company. Talk a little bit about that development. So for about 10 years in my career, I worked in a combination of both procurement and category management type roles. And then I spent some time in executive search. My dad actually owned an executive search firm. And so I worked for him for a little while. Was that in foods as well? Or? That was. Okay. There's, their firm was specifically food and agriculture. And then I came in to help them build their retail grocery branch of that okay. firm. And then I was recruited by what is now Spartan Nash to be their head of talent acquisition. So I did that for a number of years and I led all of their um, recruitment for all of their professional and executives within their corporate headquarters uh, that was in Edina at the time. And then after a few years there, I about a year before I left, I started thinking about starting my own executive search firm. I worked with a lot of executive search firms, kind of saw a need. There was really very few at the time. There was almost no one that specialized in the food industry. There were some that specialized in agriculture, but nobody that was really working with the consumer packaged goods industry. So you formed your own company in 2006, and it's called Curtis Food Recruiters, and you recruit top-level talent for what kind of jobs are you recruiting people for? I mean, I'm picturing, you know, when I think of foods, it's it's so broad. It is. So I would say that for the most part, it's director, vice president, all the way up to C-level, COOs, CEOs, CFOs. For about 70% of our clients are food manufacturers. Um, so a lot of executive leadership within those types of companies. And then the other 30% is a combination of um, agriculture and grocery retail food service distribution, wholesale companies. Now, you mentioned that there really wasn't anybody out there doing that on an extensive level. So what is the need or what was the need? What, why, what was that niche? So one of the things that I found when I was the internal head of talent acquisition was that my internal clients, my VPs of operations, my VPs of finance, whoever I was working with to recruit for them, they were food snobs. They only wanted people out of the food industry. Oh, seriously? Pharmaceutical okay. wasn't good enough. Oil and gas. They didn't. Insurance. They didn't want anybody from anything else. They only wanted them from the food industry. So food that, snob. I've never heard snobs. that. <laughs> okay. And so, and so that was one of the big needs. And one of the oh. things that, as I did work with other executive search firms, I always had to communicate that, that they didn't want people from other industries, even other, you know, kind of durable goods or chemical, th that kind of thing. They really wanted people that understood food production and food distribution. Did you, what, do you go out and try and convince people to then get that food background first? Or do you just say, you know what, they don't have that food background, but they can learn? Um, you know, I don't do a tremendous amount of convincing at that, what we call the experienced hire level. They, our hiring managers know what they want. They know what kind of experiences they want this person to have, what kind of successes they want this person to have. And so our job is to go out and find people that have had those kind of experiences that have solved those problems within other organizations so that they can bring that critical thinking to our clients, but also that are a good personality, cultural fit that are going to work well within that particular organization. 
And do you do this on a global scale? Or we do it, it on a domestic, so all okay. over the United States. All right. I, I just don't know because I'm sure that's next, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who maybe. knows, right? Maybe. Right? Well, I mean, being listed as one of the top executive search firms is, you know, big honor. So they're expecting big things, right? <laughs> uh, now, you and Dr. Shane Boyer, who is with us here, are going to be hosting a fireside chat this afternoon and discussing talent acquisition and diversifying the food and agricultural industry. So what does that mean, diversifying the food and agricultural <laughs> industry? Well, so I like to use the term diversity of thought. I think that one of the things about the food industry because many people are food snobs, they're <laughs> thinking one way, right? They're thinking about it in one set of terms. And what set of terms would that be? What um, would, let's say, what is a, uh, describe a food snob. Uh, Shane, are you a food snob? I sure hope not. <laughs> okay. well, well, she's going to describe one and we'll find yeah, out. We'll find out, yeah. You know, I think it's just someone that feels like if you don't already understand the food industry, the sense of urgency, the low margin um, from a profitability standpoint, how to make a profit within the food industry, they don't necessarily want to train and teach that. Okay. They want those people to come in with those experiences. They want them to start in entry-level roles within food manufacturing or within grocery retail, and they want them to move up and grow their career within that industry. Okay. The, ki the students this afternoon, I assume you're going to have students present. Is that correct? Who's going to yeah. be, who's invited to this event this afternoon, by the way? Well, it, it's open to the public. Okay. An anybody can. Uh, there will be a lot of students uh, that will come. Uh, well, we hope they come with the snow <laughs> on the ground now. But uh, yeah, the, the students will come that uh, their careers and there's so many opportunities. And so the students that are going to come are the ones that just want to learn about the opportunities that are out there. And so we'll have faculty, we'll have students, uh, we'll have some former, we've got some former uh, lecture people that are going to be joining us as well and, and then people from the community. So so it's a, it's a wide range of so people. So anybody invited, it's from 3.30 till 5 this afternoon in the Ostrander Auditorium, which is the Centennial Student Union. How about parking? I want to make sure we cover that for people that don't like to come to camps because they say, well, there's no place to park or I'm going to get a ticket. Yep. So yeah. So the visitor's parking lot, which is right across from the union, which is uh, the union is where the uh, the lecture will be in Ostrander. It's a sunken lot. Uh -huh. Yep. So, yep. So that is. And for those that do not want to venture out on this day, uh, it is being uh, streamed as well. And so they can just go to the College of Business website and uh, register for that link. Okay, that's good to know. So public, if you are out there and you want to listen, Julie's got a lot of great things to talk about. Describe what is a day like for you as an entrepreneur? I mean, there's probably no common day, but I'm just curious because I don't really know what exactly that entails. Yeah, so I think that that's one of the probably biggest challenges and, and things that nobody tells you when you start a business is that you're all things to everyone. <laughs> yeah. You're the salesperson in my role. I'm the recruiter. I'm the accountant. I'm the marketing person. Um, luckily, as you grow, you are able to hire other um tacticians and experts in those fields so that they can do those things for you. But um, I have a team of uh, five people that I lead. And so I have a lot of communication with them. I'm working on a daily basis with my clients and understanding their needs. Um, I'm also a recruiter. I love recruiting. And so I'm interviewing much like you, Karen, I am interviewing people all day long. So we are sourcing and uh, finding great talent and engaging them and getting them excited about coming to work for one of our clients. So Curtis Food Recruiters began in 2006 with just you. Just me. Let's talk about how you built that company up. 
You know, it was kind of slow and steady. You know, I'd done about a year of planning before I started the organization. I probably the first year or year and a half, it was just me doing everything. And you're bedroom or something or your office I, in your I, house I did have an office okay <laughs> oh you had an office okay I'm just picturing like her at home you know like okay. but it was a home office I've been oh, at home okay. office for 16 years oh okay I love it uh, and then you know it just started very slowly I hired a part-time person and then that person part-time person turned into a full-time person what was the first person you needed to hire data entry Data entry. I okay. hate data entry. Okay. So you find somebody with those strengths. <laughs> those strengths and that was detail oriented and okay. that loved making sure that everything in my database, my applicant tracking system was up to date and perfect. And so hired that person part time and then she became a full time person, then hired another part time person that became full time. And little by little, it grew that way. In the last few years, we've added um, a number of other full time people to our team. We have executive recruiters on my team, as well as people that do sourcing, which is researching and finding candidates um, and finding kind of like an investigator. They are trying to track down cell phone numbers and email addresses and any way we can to get so in touch with these people. computer work, it sounds a like. A lot of computer work. A lot of computer work. Yeah, a lot of research. Being a recruiter, do you have to do much traveling? So I don't. We um, there are. I know other recruiters that do travel more. When we take on a new client, we always go visit them, um, see them in their environment, uh, tour their plant or their facilities or their distribution centers, and then for the most part, that relationship just takes off from there. And so I probably travel once a quarter. Okay, to wherever in yeah. the United States. Yeah. Now you mentioned clients. What kind of clients do you have? I mean, I think a big people like. Pillsbury, yeah. the ADM, the General Mills, you know, those sorts of types. Are, are you doing smaller businesses yep. or are they mainly the big ones that need the help? Yeah, so we typically, and it's interesting, the big ones don't necessarily need us as much. Because they, they have more of their internal They program. have an internal okay. team. Um, sometimes if it's a confidential search or what we call a 911 high priority, um, a C-level role, we'll work with some large organizations. But many of our clients are about $100 million to a billion in annual revenue. Um, and so many of them don't have a dedicated talent acquisition manager or director. They have a director of HR that's trying to do everything and be everything to everyone. And so that's where we come in and we partner with that our HR partner. We usually partner with either the founder, the CEO, the COO to understand the search and what those needs are. How long does a, a search take? I'm just curious, like if you're looking, let's oh. say I want a top-notch executive what does that involve? I mean, so each level is a little bit different. Okay. Um, one of the things I'd say is it takes longer now than it ever did before. Mm -hmm. um, it takes more uh, points of contact. We have to interview more people. We have to talk to more people. Typically for uh, executive level search, uh, uh, chief executive officer, or COO, that can take anywhere from five to six months um, to, from start to finish to that person starts. And then for director and VP level roles, that can take anywhere from 90 to 120 days. Okay. And then you come in, do you have a lot of repeat customers then? Is that we how that do. works? So you get referrals or high? Yeah, Marianne and my team uh, has these great numbers. I don't necessarily have them in front of me, but roughly about 85% of our the work we do is for repeat customers on an annual basis. Now you have six in your company right mm -hmm. now. It's, and I mentioned it so people know, it's Curtis Food Recruiters plans to expand or and we're hiring one more recruiter if oh. anybody out there has an executive search background yeah well, yeah what kind of background would you need for a job like yeah that? so um, sometimes that person could be with we're what we call a retained firm um, so we work kind of like a, an attorney where 
we get paid for this search at different intervals throughout the process. There are people out there that are on contingent search, which they only get paid if they actually place a person with a company. So people that are with contingent firms doing sourcing work, doing um, executive recruitment work. Many times people are internal, so they're working for a company and they're doing sourcing or talent acquisition, or you might call them a recruiter or an employment manager. They hold those roles. They also make excellent candidates for executive recruiters. The people you're recruiting, have they changed through the years? You know, we talk about the baby boomers, the Gen Xers, the millennials. I mean, does that or has that impacted how you recruit individuals? I mean, you're young well, compared to me, you're young, <laughs> you're young yourself. So I'm just curious because we keep hearing things about all oh, the millennials and this and that and, you know, complaints from the other generation, et cetera. So do you run into that and does that affect how you recruit people? Yeah, you know, I would say one of the biggest impacts with the generation difference is that <laughs> the the baby boomers that are still very much our leaders, mm-hmm. they're um, our executives that we work with. Many times they're HR managers or they're hiring managers. They have a hard time understanding this generation and this generation's needs and desires for flexible time, for remote work. Even before COVID, you know, people were wanting more of those kind of environments. They want different benefits. They want, they don't want to work on Fridays. They want a four-day work week. They they want a lot of things to give themselves more balance. And sometimes our hiring managers really struggle with that. I would guess that because I'm one of those baby boomer. I'm like the the last of the the baby boomer kind of thing. And it it is hard sometimes to understand that. So how do you do that then? I mean, do you just have to convince them that this is the way it is now? Well, one of the things that we always try to remember is that not everyone in a generation is the same, right? Everyone's different. And so we're really having those conversations with people about what's important to them. We understand our client and what they can offer. And from our candidates, we really have to find out what's really critical to them, what's going to help make them successful, what's going to help make them engaged and passionate about the company that they work for. Julie, you're obviously very successful yourself. So what does it take to be an interpreter? If you are talking with a class, let's say they're students there today, and they say, well, how could I be like you? What do I need to do? Well, I think first you need to be an expert in something. Right. I was an expert in executive recruitment. I had built a network. So you have to first be an expert in something and be really passionate about that because you are going to do this day in and day out. You are going to be all things to everyone, as I mentioned before. So when you start that business, you have to want to do sales. You have to be passionate about what you're doing and be able to go out and sell that to people. You have to be the PR person. You have to go out there and do things like this and get your name recognized. So there are just it's not just about doing the work. It's also all the other things that go into it. I think you have to have a plan. You have to have some savings. (laughs) You've got to have a backup plan. And so making sure that you've done all the work ahead of time before you just say, oh, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start a company. So it wasn't like you could just have, when you graduated from college, you couldn't just go out and there I am. I don't think so. I'm sure that there are (laughs) others out there that have a brilliant idea. They've got a technology that they've been dreaming of. There are people that could do that. I could not. But it sounds like you need to, like you said, build up that network, build up that base before you're able to maybe get to that point. I agree. I agree. I think that having that skill set that someone needs, whether that's an auto mechanic or an executive recruiter, you've got to make sure that somebody needs what you have to sell, what you have to offer. What else do you think is important for people to know about what you do? I think that, you know, I love what I do. I, 
I didn't I go to tell you're very passionate. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. I didn't go to college thinking I was going to be an executive recruiter. I didn't even think I was going to be an HR. Oh. And so when I started working when I started working, I loved I loved every role I've had, to be honest. But I loved learning about the business, understanding the business. And then once I got into HR, I saw that there was it wasn't just about hiring and firing people. It was about supporting a business, making sure that that business had what it needed to grow and to flourish. And um, that's, you know, one of the things is just finding what you're what you're passionate about. Best thing about your job. I get to talk to people all day long. You have to be a somebody who likes to talk yeah, to people. That's yeah. a key. My mom has a picture of yeah. me with a little pink phone in my ear. And it is, I mean, she knew that this would be somehow, some way, that was going to be my career. That's funny, because when I was nine, I used to go around with the tape recorder and ask people questions. So <laughs> I guess that's that was telling. And what's the hardest part of the job? I think that balance. Having that balance, I've got a family, I've got two children in high school right now, but especially when they were little, I've got a husband, I've got, you know, they all have extracurricular activities. So trying to balance everything um, and continue to to grow this business at the same time, to develop my team, those are some of the things that I think are the most challenging. Well, I think it's going to be a really exciting talk this afternoon. We were talking with Julie Curtis, who is the founder of Curtis Food Recruiter, and she is going to be the speaker this afternoon. And I'm going to give you the, Shane's going to do the details because he's going to be helping her lead the chat. Yes, the, the fireside chat's going to be in Ostrander Auditorium in the Student Union on campus. And that is at 3.30. You can go on the College of Business website and, and log on, uh, uh, register and log on if you can't make it to campus. So uh, it's by Zoom. Yep, it is by Zoom. And so, uh, so yeah, so we're, we're reaching out to try to get as many, many people there as, as possible to hear uh, the great advice and words <laughs> from Julie. But it's going to be engaging. It's going to be fun. And then our, our the donor, Richard Schmitz, is, um, should be arriving here pretty soon. Oh, wonderful. Um, and uh, so he'll be, be there as well. And, and so a big thank you to him for creating this endowment so we can have this, uh, this event every year. Who do you think should come? aspiring entrepreneurs, people in the food industry, food and beverage industry, uh, you know, just curious people. Uh, it is a time in what's happening in our country where talent is a huge issue. People need people and and to understand, uh, you know, what is happening uh, in the recruiting world, I, you know, I think is uh, going to benefit everyone. Julie, is there a shortage of people in the food industry? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, from a manufacturing standpoint, there's a huge labor okay. shortage right now. Um, when it comes to, I would say, manager-level roles, there's lots of entry-level roles right now. Kids that are graduating this year, next year, they're going to have a lot to choose from. They're going to have a lot of opportunities in front of them because there are so many open positions. We're adding more positions and new positions um, that we haven't had in the past. But there is a there's a huge labor shortage happening right now. If people want to learn more about your business, where can they go to find more info? Well, we've got our website at curtisfood.com. And um, obviously, we've got our LinkedIn page, and I would recommend everyone that's you know, listening, if they would like to connect with me, it's a great way to start to build your network. And it is Julie Curtis, owner, president of Curtis Foods Recruiter, Food Recruiters. Thank you so much for your time. I hope people will come out today or go on Zoom and connect with you. And again, that is at 3.30 to 5 p.m. here on campus or on the Zoom via the MNSU business page. Correct. Yep. All right. Thank mm -hmm. you both. I appreciate it. Thanks.